When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Josh, how are we doing on this fine Tuesday evening? A lot of stuff to discuss this week, basketball, football, everything in between. How is it going? Uh, I'm doing good, man, but you know what? I just realized I never ask how things are going in uh, the world of Gene, so let's turn around. How are you doing on this good Tuesday? Ah, uh, you know, the same old, same old. I'm in, you know, my other job, I'm working for MLB Network. I'm in, you know, the, the middle of the baseball season. Luckily, my my Mets are doing well. Your Reds are kind of turning around after a, a slow start. You know, they they looked like a team that was going to lose upwards of 120 games. around. Yeah, I, it is. It's, <laughs> it's sad to watch. Like I really like Joey Votto. It's kind of sad to watch him have a, a down year, and, and you know, but I do like watching uh, former Mets legend Brandon Drury have a really good season for himself, potentially being an, an MLB All Star this year. So, well, this isn't a Reds podcast. I do appreciate what the Reds are doing with some of those younger guys over there, well, as well as some of the guys they brought in. And like I said, my Mets are, despite lacking their their two best pitchers in Max Scherzer and Jacob Degrom, have had themselves a, a pretty good year. So, my life You're is very uh, very baseball oriented right now, for sure. Your cast, your 2023 castoffs could be the Reds' best players uh, next year. So let's uh, we'll just keep that pipeline going, and maybe the Reds can win 60 games. Yeah, I mean I, that sounds good to me. I'm I'm down. I mean the, you know the Mets are the Mets are going <laughs> to pay Aaron Judge. The Mets are going to give yeah the Mets are going to give Aaron Judge all the money he wants. So that's that's what I'm looking forward to next year. But this year, still like I said, deep in the weeds. But we do have luckily for for you all, luckily that me and Josh don't have to devolve into a specifically Mets and Reds podcast here for a very niche audience we do have a lot of good ohio state content to talk about this week starting with uh the recap of the nba draft which happened last week we got to see both malachi branham and ej liddell taken in the 2022 uh nba draft which you know both of them went lower than we expected less so branham than ej but i did want to start josh with ej liddell's fall before we get into you know his his selection he was taken number 41 overall to the new orleans pelicans taken in the second round um his his fall was kind of surprising you know he has the typical you know nba draft analyst kind of knocks on him a little undersized for his position an older player at 21 years old which feels you know silly to say as as a 26 year old myself to say that this guy's old but for for an nba draft prospect you know a lot of guys don't like to see the 21 year olds coming out um Probably won't be able to dominate in the post quite as well at six foot six as he did uh, at Ohio State, and maybe more of a risk of a player to draft without a you know a clearly defined position. But this is still a guy that was a, a two-time Illinois Mister Basketball, a two-time first-team All Big Ten player. So before we get into kind of how he fits with his new team, are you surprised by where Liddell wound up going in this draft? I know I had asked you last week, you know, whether there was a chance that one of these guys would fall into the second round, and neither of us really thought that there was. But it, you know, Liddell did wind up going in that in that second round, pretty. You know, not middle of the second round, but kind of, you know, in the, the latter half of the first half of the second round. What did you think of where he wound up being selected? Gene, I was shocked, to be completely honest. You know, um, and look, I've been pounding the table for EJ Liddell since the season ended. I talked about that in our Your Nuts column. But 
for him to drop all the way out of the first round and into the 40s, I mean, if I was mildly surprised by Malachi's drop, then yeah, I was shocked by EJ's just because, look, I get the knocks against him. He might be a tweener when it comes to positions, but you're talking about consistent production, <clears throat> consistent improvement. Um, there's really not a whole lot of, there aren't many holes in his game uh, outside of probably size. And that's, look, the NBA is becoming more and more positionless. So is EJ more of a four? Yes. Is he maybe, you know, uh, kind of out athletic at at small forward in the NBA? Yeah, maybe. But you've got a bunch of those guys in the NBA now. And I just look at the improvement year over year and out and the things that he added to his game, you know, he added the outside shot. He became a really prolific shot blocker and he really worked on his body, you know? Um, so I, I do think that he can play a three in certain lineups uh, in the NBA. And I talked about it in our column and it's not, look, I don't want to crap on guys who were taken ahead of him, but I looked at guys taken right around number 20, which for any knocks against him, EJ was still projected to be picked somewhere in the 20 to 24 range, maybe even higher. You know, there was some noise at number 18 with the Chicago Bulls homecoming pre-draft that was talked about. But um, in the early 20s, you had Brown, Christian Brown from Kansas, who kind of a wing. He's athletic, a little bit of a shooter. But I think he averaged like 14 points per game for Kansas. He was in school for three or four years. David Roddy out of, I want to say Colorado State now, is legitimately a 255-pound guard. He's 6'4", 6'5", built like a truck. But, you know, lots of guys in the NBA are going to be able to reach over him. I don't think he can keep up with athletic guards. He was taken in the early 20s. And then, I I hope I'm saying this right, Bojan uh, Markamp. Gosh, I wish I had it written down in front of me. I should have. Um, guy who played in the G League, but like coming out of high school, he like went to a prep school, quit basketball, got back into it at like a JUCO or something like that, ended up in the G League. Those are guys who were all taken in the early 20s. And you compare that with the resume of EJ Liddell, and I just don't get it. It goes back to sort of what I've talked about before. NBA teams love – theoretical upside they chase it they love the 18 year old guys out of europe and things like that and yes there are plenty of instances where they hit on those picks and and they get these diamonds in the rough like Giannis is the biggest probably most famous example i think he's taken like 15th um grew even after he was drafted has become arguably or you know not arguably the best player in the nba right now but for every Giannis, there are dozens of whiffs. And I, I think Liddell is sort of a sure thing. It doesn't mean <clears throat> excuse me, that he's going to become wildly productive. It doesn't mean that he's going to be a starter. But I think at the, at the very least, he's a solid role player. And he seems to be a guy that will be able to come in and contribute right away because of his experience, because of the reps and so for all of those reasons, I, I was very shocked that he dropped to where he did. But I think he ended up on a really good team and in a good situation. So 
And that could benefit him in the long run, I guess. Yeah, I think you kind of nailed it there where teams are looking for a lot of, you know, potential, a very high ceiling. And while, you know, EJ might not have as high of a ceiling as some of those guys that are maybe, you know, teams took a chance on, I think he has a much higher floor. Like you said, this is a guy that was very consistent in his time at Ohio State. Even when he wasn't his best on the offensive end, he was still giving it his all on the defensive end, and he was very good at both ends of the floor more consistently than, you know, than he wasn't. Um, and, you know, he is a bit of, a little bit of a middle-of-the-road middle, middle of the road kind of size. He's probably more of a stretch four in the league, maybe a three. But, you know, I was looking in those in that later part of the first round. You know, I thought the Warriors in, that, in those middle-20s, picks I thought that would have been a perfect fit for EJ to go in there and maybe play as you know sort of that backup role to a guy like Draymond Green a guy who could do a lot of the same things but EJ probably you know EJ with that defensive prowess you know pretty decent passer for his size he moves well he could shoot the three I thought he really fit well on those teams but you know hopefully EJ is able to take kind of the I guess the the disrespect he received going into the second round and, and parlay that into some NBA success for him because like you said I don't know if he's a guy that's destined for superstar in the league but I think he's a very very solid player and I think he's more of a sure thing as a you know a productive NBA player than some of the guys taken before him but nonetheless you know Gene, I, I let me the, ask you something yeah. that's kind of more up your alley um if I can kind of compare sports do you think that the kind of situation that EJ found himself in is at all comparable to the major league baseball draft where teams are infatuated with these prep players these high school players that put up crazy numbers in high school and they tend to go higher than a guy who, heck, went to Ohio State or he went and he played uh, baseball in the SEC and he put up like two or three productive years. Do you see any parallels there between the two sports? Yeah, it, it's a little hard just because of how different the, the drafts work. And obviously those two sports, you know, the the MLB draft, you get you see guys taken, you know, like you said, out of high school sometimes after one year of college, what have you. And then you don't see them in the league for, you know, five, six years as they work their way through the minors. So it is a little bit different because in the NBA, you are more expected to produce right away. If not, you know, be, be a G League guy and produce after a year or yeah. two. So, you know, the, the way that those two leagues work are different. But I do see kind of the similarities in teams kind of drafting more towards that high upside rather than getting a guy who's a bit older, a bit more proven, maybe not as high of a ceiling, but you know, you're looking for, you know, a guy like Jadel, like I said, I think he just has a, a higher floor than some of those guys. He's not going to be, you know, a, a guy that just doesn't pan out at the next level, I don't think. I think he has enough of a, you know, enough of those skill sets on him. He's he's good at both ends of the floor. He's a good shooter. He's, you know, for his size, he he plays bigger than he he was. You know, we saw him go up against some of those really talented bigs in the Big 10 and hold his own quite well so you know I, I think he's destined to be at, at very minimum a very solid player at the next level so I don't think it's too far off to compare those two and just teams kind of maybe overthinking a bit drafting more on the guys that have the utmost potential but I think a lot of those guys have a you know a, a chance a, a higher bust potential than a guy like EJ Liddell but Nonetheless, you know, I think the Pelicans here end up with a steal that they, they likely didn't think would be available at that spot when they, they came up on in that, that part in the draft. Uh, obviously, Nor, uh, New Orleans has Zion and uh, and Brandon Ingram at the forward spot, so EJ isn't going to be a starter right away. But And they do also have a, you know another pair of young forwards in Herbert Jones and Trey Murphy, but I still think that EJ could carve himself out a nice little role there in New Orleans. I think he fits their you know, style of play a little bit. And like I said, I'm not as in tune uh, with the current days of the NBA as you are, Josh. I blame the, the Knicks for that but um what, what do you think about his his fit with the pelicans and, and where he fits in with this current roster and the way that things are situated there i think it's a good fit because of his versatility i think that in certain small ball lineups he can gravitate more towards that power forward position maybe beat up on some smaller defenders and then i think if new orleans is looking to play more of a uh, like a small ball style um 
or, or I'm sorry, if they want to go big, I should say, I, I think that he could, I, I think that he can exist and succeed as a wing player. I, I don't think that it's, he's best suited to play as like a small forward or a three, but again, I think he's versatile enough. I think that he will continue to get better on defense. The shot is there in my opinion. So I think he can be interchangeable and you talk about the new Orleans Pelicans, um, They've got a lot of young guys, but they've got some vets, too, like a C.J. McCollum, uh, a Jonas Valanciunas. So I, I think it's a good mix there. And I think there's just there's an opportunity. You know, you mentioned some of the guys. Herb Jones was a rookie for them last year. Defensive specialist doesn't give you as much on the offensive end. Uh, I, I think that's where E.J. can maybe plug in. And just really looking at the front court, they don't have... I wouldn't say that they have like big knockdown shooters. And I'm not saying that Liddell is that sort of player, but Zion is not an outside shooter. He can do it. Uh, And and I'm not saying that Liddell will, uh, you know, take his place in the lineup by any stretch of the imagination, but he provides a different skill set. Brandon Ingram can do a little bit of everything and he has improved as a defender, but he's going to be put in certain matchups where he might be going up against a guy who is six, eight, six, nine in, you know, six, 10, 240 pounds. And that's not Brandon Ingram. You know, Liddell would have, he'd be at a disadvantage height wise, but I think he can bang down low and play some defense. So I just, I think he provides a lot of different things and, and the Pelicans in general, they're a team on the come up. Um, they would have been a playoff team, no questions asked, no argument about it last year had Zion been able to play, heck, even half of a season. And so, um, and, and I know they had a little bit of success. I think they hit the the play-in game or maybe the first round. I, I wish I had it written down. But I think that they can clearly go to another level, especially with Zion back and in the lineup. So I, I think it's going to be a good opportunity for him. I think he'll be part of a successful team going forward. And I do think he'll stick Um, just because of his age and everything. Those guys end up in the G league and they spend some time there, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the roster from day one and playing some minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very interested to see what happens with EJ Liddell. We'll obviously be rooting for him. And like I said, I think he'll be able to kind of have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder after being, you know, dropping out of the first round as he was expected. He's kind of a, you know, he's in between sizes between those, those two other, I guess, star players on the Pelicans. You have Zion listed at six foot six, but obviously a lot, a lot thicker than a guy like EJ Liddell, depending on the day, I guess. And then you have Liddell who's listed Mm -hmm. at six, 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 seven. And then you have Ingram at six, eight, who's more of a taller, skinny guy. So kind of EJ's kind of that, that healthy mix between the two styles of play there where you know one of them's more offensive oriented and oriented one of them's more defensive oriented then you have ej as kind of that that balance in the middle as as the middle height between the two as well so i think it's an interesting mix with the three of them in in that side and like you said they also have the the veteran center and Jonas valanciunas so uh, yeah and, and you like you also said you know they're a, they're a team on the come up there's they're still building they're not a team that's you know one of the, the upper echelon teams in the league right now but they're working towards it they had you know a good draft here and now they're going to see what they get from from their second round pick you got a guy here in the second round that many had a, a first round grade on and you could definitely build around a guy like that and w- whether he starts in the in the NBA or in the G League or what have you I do think that we will see you know EJ Liddell playing a decent amount of minutes for the Pelicans at some point next season I hope so I, I really do think there's an opportunity in, in an avenue for that and just because of his age and experience 
I think that he can contribute right away. And I, I would compare him to like a Grant Williams on the Celtics, not so much as a rookie, but then he started to play a significant role for them. Uh, he's kind of built like PJ Washington for the Hornets, who has been a good role player for them. So there are definitely other similar prototypes that have found success. And I expect Liddell to do the same thing. Yeah, I, I think those are pretty, pretty accurate player comps there. So moving on to uh, the other guy in this year's draft, the, the, the upper, uh, you know, the guy that we expected to go earlier, but and also fell a little bit, but not as much as Liddell. Malachi Branham goes a tad later than expected at number 20 overall to the San Antonio Spurs. You know, going into this draft, we knew that Branham was obviously the better pro prospect of the two. He's still very young at 19 years old, has a very polished offensive game for his age. He could score at all three levels. He was adept at getting to the rim. He was deadly from the mid-range, a solid three-point shooter. We know his defense could use a little bit of work as well as his playmaking ability, but you know, as, as a pure two-guard at the next level, I think Brandon is set up for success, and I love him going to the Spurs here. It feels like a team that kind of fits his play style very well. He's obviously going to get to play under Greg Popovich. They've got a good coaching staff over there. I think that this is a, you know, a very good organization for a young player that still has a bit of growing to do. I think this is a good landing spot for Branham. I think it's a great organization. I think it's an interesting situation for this reason. You know, Greg Popovich is unparalleled, right? Um, One of the best and most successful NBA coaches of all time, but he's getting up there in age. There have been retirement rumors and the team itself, like they've been on the precipice of a rebuild, but they have resisted leaning into that. And I don't know that they would necessarily tear it down to the studs and and start that this year, but they have not been a very successful team the last couple of seasons, and they've got a ton of youth, not so much um, veteran experience on the team, and so I could see them leaning into that sooner than later, and if they do, I think it provides a ton of opportunity for Malachi Branham. Yes, they've got a, a ton of guards on that team, but... Nobody they're really in love with in the backcourt. You know, they drafted a guy like Lonnie Walker the fourth a couple of seasons ago. He hasn't really panned out. They took Josh Primo last year, kid out of Alabama, youngest guy in the draft last year, didn't do much as a rookie. And DeJounte Murray is their best player. And there have been rumors that they're looking to trade him. Now, as a non-Spurs fan and a casual NBA fan, I think they would be off their rocker to trade DeJounte Murray. He's 25 years old. He was an all-star last year. He put up like 29 and eight, something like that. A great player. And so if they were to move him, I don't know what they would move him for, but if they did, like, I think that it it would kind of speed up the rebuild or speed up the process of leaning into that, because then you're looking at a bunch of young guys, very few proven uh, veterans or contributors And and I don't know that Greg Popovich is going to sign up for that. But if they were to move Murray, um, he handles the ball a lot. He's kind of like their de facto point guard. And Malachi Branham is not that. But I think they would just say, hey, look, we're going to play these young guys. They they finally took like three known college entities in the draft this year. They had three first round picks. They took guys from power five schools. And in years past, they swung on upside or they went after these like developmental projects from Europe or or things like that. That was not their MO in the 2022 draft. So they might be going in a different direction. Malachi Branham is a part of that. And so depending on how they kind of want to move forward, 
he's going to play. There's almost no doubt in my mind that he's going to play. But if they kind of strip it down a little bit, I think you could see him become a starter and, you know, play 30, 35 minutes a night sooner than later just because of the roster makeup. So I don't have a super high upside for the Spurs, but it could give Malachi this long runway of just, you know, time to learn, get the ball in his hands, let him get shots up. And who knows, maybe he's putting up 15, 20 points sooner than later. It's just, it's a very kind of weird dynamic in my opinion, unless they already have Quinn Snyder as their coach in waiting. Quinn Snyder was the coach of the jazz. He worked under Popovich. He um, left his position with the jazz and it said that he has, he's going to sit out basketball this year. He's not going to coach. And there have been rumors that he might be the next guy to come in. He's a bit of a younger coach and he probably doesn't want to sign up for a long rebuild like that of, you know, like the Sixers did in years past or the Oklahoma City Thunder are kind of in the midst of right now. So that could change things. But just a lot of interesting kind of things and factors go into uh, Branham's success or kind of whatever his situation is going to be moving forward. Yeah, for sure. It definitely seems like Malachi Branham's path to playing time is is a lot greater than uh, that of EJ Liddell's. You know, you talk about the Spurs kind of being half in, half out with this rebuild. They did trade uh, Derek White last season to the Celtics. Yep. You mentioned Lonnie Walker. He's a guy who could elect to test free agency this year. So some some of those guard spots opening up. I I do hope they hold on to Dejounte Murray because he's a lot of fun to watch. He reminds me of like they a should, man. you know a, a kind of a less hyped up John Morant. He reminds me of. He's a very very good player. A guy that they play at the one. I would love to see him and Malachi Brandon playing side by side. I think that their games would complement one each other very well. So it'd be cool to see them hold on to them. But nonetheless, I mean there is. Like you said, a lot of playing time available if the Spurs do decide to, you know, tear it all down and start from the beginning. Malachi Branham would be one of the probably the cornerstones of the start of that rebuild. And and I do think either way, you know, even if they keep keep these guys, I do think Malachi Branham could see himself, uh, you know, if not in a starting spot in a very significant rotation in that that shooting shooting guard room, especially if Walker does elect to leave, because uh, I do think Branham is is best suited at that two spot. I don't think he's really uh, a pure point guard. I don't think that he's. You know, he didn't do it a lot at Ohio State. He doesn't seem like the most, uh, you know, he's not the most adept passer. I'd say he's not the greatest playmaker. He's more of, you know, catch-and-shoot guy or, you know, create his own shot. I don't know if he's more about getting other guys the ball, but he's really good with the ball in his own hands. So I think he's definitely more of a two-guard at the next level, and I think that him and Murray would be a really fun backcourt. But nonetheless, you know, like we said, there's what? there's definitely spots there, and he also gets to play alongside, you know, former Buckeye Kata Bates-Diop. So that's another fun, you know, aspect of playing in San Antonio, I guess. Yeah, something that could be really exciting with the Spurs is they've been rumored to have interest in DeAndre Ayton from the Suns. And so if they were somehow able to bring him in, keep Murray, they uh, they drafted Sohan from Baylor. I forget their second pick. They've got Keldon Johnson in the front court. They could just look at it and say, hey, we've got DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Ayton, all these young guys, they could roll out an entire starting lineup of players under the age of 25, a couple of guys who have been all-stars or near all-stars, and maybe they could turn it around really quick. But that would be a lot of different pieces in place, and they would have to go about it the right way. But that is sort of an interesting wrinkle. If they could add eight and keep Murray, then I think that significantly kind of increases their chances of success. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the the flip side of the coin there. That's going the opposite direction. They could either kind of on that precipice right now. They could elect to do the rebuild phase, or they could go after a star like that as a big man. You know, a guy like a DeAndre Ayton, and it changes their outlook entirely. So I think that you know, depending on how 
this offseason goes for them, I think we'll see two completely different potentially Spurs teams. But either way, I do think that Malachi Branham will be you know, in a good spot there. I think he's got a path for playing time. I think we'll see him play a good amount this season in the NBA, and I'm excited to see him play as well. So hopefully you know, we get to see both Branham and Liddell out there on the court this season, rooting for their success, obviously, as well as you know, guys like uh, you know, um, Dwayne Washington, who was, who was undrafted free agent last year and kind of took the Pacers by storm. We'll see what happens there. But Ohio State has some some good players now in the league. Obviously, you know, the, the D'Angelo Russell of the world as well. But a pretty good crop here in this year's NBA draft for Ohio State. Josh, are there any other um, big draft stories that you were interested from this season? I know that you know for me myself personally, you know, like I said, I'm not not a huge NBA guy. I blame. You know, once again, the Knicks are, I don't know what their their plan is. They seem obsessed with getting Jalen Brunson for whatever reason. I don't know if he's even, <laughs> I don't I don't think he's particularly that good, but they seem intent on giving him a max contract for whatever deal. And it seems like they've like changed their whole offseason on plans of getting him and doing that. So whatever they're up to, I don't know, but they didn't draft a player, which is, you know, the, their whole organization as a whole is the main reason that I haven't been a big NBA guy lately. But, um, you know, I, I watched this year's draft. And I think that, you know, the Detroit Pistons are, are instantly one of the most fun teams in the league now after adding Jay Nivey going up, you know, alongside Cade Cunningham. That's an excellent backcourt. I'm, it'll be a lot of fun to watch there. Maybe I'm a little bit jaded because I watched Jay Nivey put up 30 every time he played Ohio State, it felt like. But I'm excited to see what he does in the league. Um, I also love the Cavs pick of Ochai Ibaji. I think he's a very solid player. You know, obviously he, he won the national championship with Kansas. I really like him. I think he'll do well there. Um, but anything else stand out to you, Josh? Obviously, Paolo Bancaro at number one was a little bit surprised. But any other big draft stories that really stood out for you? No, not really. Besides the two that you brought up, I would just hit on those real quickly. I think um, the kid out of Kansas that the Cavs drafted, solid player. I don't know about his upside. He was in school for four years. I would have liked to have seen Malachi go in that spot just because of the Northeast Ohio ties and they play a similar position. I think he could play, could have played really well off of Darius Garland and with uh, Mobley and the guys they have there. So, um, but I think Abaji is, is a good player. I think he's going to fill a role for them. And Jaden Ivey, I mean, gosh, the Pistons got a steal. In my opinion, he should have gone fourth. He could have even gone higher, you know, and we'll look at this years down the road. He may be one of the better players from this class, but you know, the Kings were the Kings. They drafted, based on positional need rather than upside, in my opinion. And I like Keegan Murray. I really do. Another Big Ten guy put up a billion points this year for Iowa. But Jaden Ivey has the higher upside, again, in my opinion. And I think that they resisted that pick or went away from it because he plays a position similar to that of De'Aaron Fox and Mitchell, uh, the kid from Baylor that they drafted last year, Davion Mitchell. But you said it. I mean, Jaden Ivey in the same backcourt as Cade Cunningham, I think they're going to play really well off of each other. Cade Cunningham is a distributor. He's a quarterback. Jaden Ivey wants the ball in his hands, but he's so good. He's so quick um, and so athletic that he can play off the ball. He can make smart cuts. He can. We, we saw him catch lobs. I don't think he's going to do a ton of that in the NFL, but um, I think that he is supremely talented. And for him to land at number five, and then they went ahead – the Pistons did made a, uh, a train. They picked up Jalen Duran from Memphis, who is just a crazy athletic big. They really knocked the draft out of the park, in my opinion. So they could have three foundation pieces moving forward, and they have some money to spend. They've been rumored to have interest in Miles Bridges, another Big Ten guy. He went to Michigan State a couple years ago. So they could be building something 
really special in Detroit, and they've got some Big Ten guys there in the fold that could be part of that, potentially. Yeah, I didn't have this written down, but just as you're like, as we're speaking out loud and as I'm thinking about it, how is it that the Big Ten had all of this first round talent, but yet all of their teams stunk in the tournament? Like what what happened here? What 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 did they do? I think they beat themselves up. I, I really do. And we, I think we talked about it during the season. There are so many good teams in the NBA that or in the Big Ten, I'm sorry. It's a grind. The regular season is a grind. I think they wear themselves down and then you get into the tournament and it's all about matchup. But there has been a, a, a high level of talent in the Big Ten. It hasn't always translated to the NBA. You look at a guy like Garza, who was the Big Ten Player of the Year. I mean, he may have even been the National Player of the Year. And I, I think he's in the G League if he's still playing. I think the Pistons picked him up, if I'm not mistaken. But it, it's all about how their games translate. But I do think we've seen some recent examples of guys who are going to find success, whether that be Bridges, Jaden Ivey. I do think Keegan Murray will find success in the league. I just I don't know if he has all-star potential, whereas I do believe Jaden Ivey does. But a lot of guys coming out of that conference, I just think it's a dogfight while they're still in school during the regular season. Yeah, I mean, just a ton of talent coming out of this NBA draft from the Big Ten especially. So, you know, it's it's a good look for them. But then, you know, you get to the, get to March, and it just seems like they never could pull it together. And I think we did talk about this around tournament time where it seemed like all of these Big Ten teams had one really star player and just a bunch of guys around them that weren't really quite up to that level. And I think that, you know, that likely plagued them when it comes around to tournament time because if that one guy doesn't have, you know, his best game on any specific day, then your team gets bounced. But it is, you know, yeah. a, lot, a, lot, a lot of Big Ten talent coming out in this year's draft. Flipping the script here a little bit, speaking of talent going into the Big Ten, coming out of the Big Ten, um, on top of the the big week for Ohio State in the NBA draft, it was another big weekend for Ohio State recruiting on the football field. Um, the Buckeyes coming off another huge recruiting weekend, a lot of official visits this past weekend. Um, and, you know, after last week, we saw the, the three top 100 receivers uh, commit to Ohio State in Brandon Innes, Carnell Tate, and Noah Rogers. Um, this week, the focus seems to be more on defense, as we've already gotten one defensive commitment this week and likely a second coming later this week. So, you know, you look at Monday. Monday saw the commitment of four-star cornerback Kay and Lee. Uh, Lee is a former Georgia commit. He is from the state of Georgia. He's a four-star corner, number 18 player at his position in the 2023 class, number 145 player overall. Uh, nice little coup for Ohio State here to land a Georgia native that was previously committed to the Bulldogs. Uh, he becomes the second corner in Ohio State's class behind Dijon Johnson, who himself is the number 11 corner and another top 100 player. Um, and this commitment also lifts Ohio State to the number one class in the country, now jumping Notre Dame after this late, latest run of commitments here for Ohio State. So number one class in the country, already have a really good crop going on offense, and it looks like Ohio State is starting to bring the defensive players along as well, now adding Kane Lee to the fold. Yeah, good player, and it's about time that they start to build up the defensive side of the ball. They had a great year on paper uh, with the 2022 class, but Kay and Lee, good ball player. You know, Ohio State had been in on him for a while. Kerry Combs was recruiting him when he was still at Ohio State. He, like you said, he committed to Georgia, backed off of that when I think they lost their DB coach, um, reopened it. Tim Walton was on him, hot and heavy, uh, all of this year. And so they're getting a guy, like you said, an 18th-ranked cornerback in the class, but decent size. He's six foot. I think he's added some weight. He's listed at like 180, 185. And uh, I was reading some of the, the analysts kind of projections and analysis of him. 
aggressive guy. I, I like that in a corner. I like the bump and run. I like the guy who will come up and get your hands on you, uh, get your get his hands on a wide receiver at the point of attack and at the line of scrimmage. Uh, 247 ranked it, rated him as like a 10 out of 10 tackler. So you like to see a willing tackler on the outside, sort of like uh, like a Jeff Okuda was a really good recent example of a guy who's willing to come up and stick his nose in there. So a good kind of opposite corner, that of Dijon Johnson. I think they'll continue to build at least the secondary, if not corner. And I know we'll get to that, but I think Kay Lee's a good pickup. And to get him out of Georgia, I, I'm excited and I hope that he is able to kind of use his network and his pre-existing relationships because this past weekend, you know, that big visitor weekend was half the state of Georgia, right? They had bowls, they had a couple other guys come in, if I'm not mistaken. So kind of like we saw with Florida and that pipeline, granted, that's very specific to like a school and a seven on seven team, but they've got uh, Ohio State has grabbed a bunch of recruits out of Florida and I'm, I'm kind of hoping that this is the beginning of them being able to do the same thing in the state of Georgia, especially a guy like Caleb Downs and some others that I know we'll probably talk about. Yeah, for sure. The, the the harder part here is that unlike the state of Florida, where you know the big Power Five teams in you know Florida, Florida State, Miami are all kind of you know down at the moment, so Ohio State can kind of swing in there and steal some of those top guys from Florida. Not exactly the case in the state of Georgia when you just had the Bulldogs right, coming yeah. off a, a national title. So to win some of these big name guys in Georgia is definitely super impressive for Ohio State's uh, staff here, especially some of the newer guys on defense. You know, like you said, Tim Walton, uh, you know, as well as Perry Arellano and Jim Knowles. These guys were brought in. To, to fix the defense first and foremost, but also they had to you know prove that themselves as willing recruiters. And you're starting to see a lot of these guys get some of these big wins on the recruiting trail. And so that, that kind of brings us to a conversation, as, as you sort of touched upon here, of Ohio State's defensive recruiting in general. As I said, you know, the offense uh, has rounded itself out pretty well. They got the big wide receivers they wanted. Uh, they have Mark Fletcher at running back. They might add another there, but, you know, potentially not. They have, uh, you know, a big tight end. They have, you know, they're, they're probably going to add a couple more offensive linemen as well, maybe a quarterback. But offense is in a pretty good spot right now. They do need to start hitting the ground running on defense. But luckily, they do seem to be in a really good spot um, in terms of defensive talent. But looking at the class currently... You know they had now they have Johnson and Lee at corner, uh, Malik Harford and Cedric Hawkins at safety, and then Will Smith on the defensive line, and that's all they have so far. So there's lots of work to be got, to be done, but they've gotten themselves off to a really good start, and it seems like they're heavily involved in some some really big names moving forward. So just looking at their target board here and, and touching on a guy that you just brought up, uh, Caleb Downs, definitely the biggest name on their board, probably overall um, the number one safety in the country, number eleven player overall, another Georgia native as you touched upon as well. Um, seems like Ohio State's currently in a very favorable position for him. We know that Jim Knowles' defense is very safety-oriented, so to get a guy like Caleb Downs and into the fold after a class where you just brought in also, you know, guys like Sonny Styles and Kai Stokes, you know, having a, a deep safety room like that would be really, really huge for Ohio State, and I'm sure Knowles would love to add a guy like Caleb Downs to the fold, as would, you know, position coach Perry Eliano, so that would be really his first huge win as a member of Ohio State's coaching staff, and then, you know, in addition to Downs and safety, you also have a guy like Jaden Bonsu, uh, who's a four-star guy, number 24 safety, number three in the state of New Jersey. Uh, he's got a crystal ball for Ohio State from Steve Wolfong. Doesn't seem out of the question totally for them to bring in uh, four safeties in this class, especially with Knowles' defense featuring three safeties on the field at once. But especially if one of those guys is Downs, then uh, you know Ohio State would love to bring in four safeties. But that, that Caleb Downs is for sure uh, their top target right now on the board overall, and especially on defense. Top of the board, I'd maybe put him 1B with Tackett Curtis. But you talk about Dan's, Downs in particular, um, 
you know, Jim Knowles would probably recruit a half a dozen safeties and bring them in if he could, because he's going to put those guys all over the field. And I look at the current roster makeup, which I know you might get to later. A lot of those back end safeties could be gone um, in a year or two. You know, Josh Proctor gone, Tanner McAllister gone, you know, after this year, Um, Ronnie Hickman could leave after this year. So you're going to start to see some turnover. And Kai Stokes looked great in a spring game. Sonny Styles might be the eraser back there. But I, I, I'm with you. I would not be surprised to see them try and bring in three or four safeties because you're going to likely have three of them on the field at any given time. And Downs, you talked about it, top safety in the class, good size, great instincts. He's a playmaker. He can tackle. He can do just about everything in the back end. And so... I, I don't know if this would be a coup to use one of your terms because I like that because Ohio State's been in on him for a while. But then again, who hasn't? You know, Alabama, Georgia, Notre Dame, Clemson, all these schools are going after Caleb Downs. I think that it it, it means something that he visited Ohio State late during his process before his senior year gets started. And so personally, I would rank him above Tackett Curtis. If we're just going targets one through 10, I would put him at the top of the list just because of his playmaking ability, because of the position he plays where that's a chess piece that Jim Knowles wants to move all around the field. I'm going to be watching his recruitment closely and I, and I hope that, you know, who knows, but maybe we'll get some good news sooner than later. That would be just a huge ad, I think for Ohio state. Yeah. And, and it does feel a bit like Ohio state's gone a little bit without getting one of these, you know, five-star type of guys in the back end of the defense. They've certainly gotten a ton of talent in the secondary. You know, you look at guys in recent classes like J.K. Johnson, Jordan Hancock, those both very highly touted players in their own right, as well as a guy like Sonny Styles, but who was a five-star. But it, it seems few and far between where they've gotten these true, you know, number one of the position type of guys, and, and Caleb Downs would just add another level to the back end of that of that secondary. So definitely a, a big guy on their roster. And, and also, you know, speaking of the defensive secondary here, I think Ohio State's almost certainly going to add a, a third cornerback in this class and I think if you're looking to peg down a guy right now I think the guy you're looking at is Jermaine Matthews um, a four-star prospect number nine player in Ohio he's set to make his commitment this Friday all three of his crystal balls are in favor of Ohio State right now he's from the Cincinnati area Um, I think he did have a crystal ball in there for Cincinnati but it has since changed to Ohio State so all signs point to that commitment later this week being in favor of the Buckeyes so I would definitely be on boom watch for Matthews as you know Ohio State looks to fill out the rest of that secondary yeah and he's an athlete right now but he plays corner he's the number ninth ranked player in the state of Ohio I think um when I look at the defensive secondary and I would compare it to the interior both both and both sides of the the line of scrimmage I don't think you can ever have enough of those guys. So when I see that they've got a couple of DBs already in the class, two corners, two safeties, my mentality is add, add, add. Obviously, you want to round out your class appropriately, but you know, you've got five, six DBs on the field at any given time in today's college football. Your linemen are either protecting the quarterback or getting after the quarterback, the most important position on the field. So you can never have enough of these guys. And I think that if they were able to get Jermaine Matthews, I don't even know if they would be done at corner. I don't have a, a list of prospects in front of me. I mean, Cormani McLean is a guy whose name has been thrown out there and he's the top corner of the board on the board. I don't think that's realistic. Um, 
So if they were to bring in Matthews and continue to supplement this secondary, I think it's going to be very important because we talked about safety, but you look at the cornerback position. I mean, Denzel Burke was a freshman All-American, seems like a stud. And I think the same could be said for Jordan Hancock and or Ja'Kalen Johnson, but they're both unproven. They have not played in the secondary yet for Ohio State. So it's not like they're swimming in a ton of proven commodities moving forward. So I think Matthews or whoever else they were able, they would be able to add is going to pay dividends down the road. Yeah. Cormine McLean's a guy we've heard a little bit of smoke towards recently for Ohio state. Like you said, I'm not ready to, you know, put him as an Ohio state lean at this point in time. That would obviously be a huge get. And I, I do think this is going to be a rather large recruiting class for Ohio state. So I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibilities that they add a fourth corner, because like you said, they do have a pretty unproven room right now. Although there is a ton of, you know, talent there per recruiting rankings. We haven't seen a lot of these guys play. So adding more talent back there certainly couldn't hurt. Um, another position that they're certainly going to need to add talent as you've, you've touched on a little bit here is that linebacker. Um, where you know clearly the number one guy is, is Tackett Curtis. It has been since Jim Knowles arrived in Columbus. He's been Knowles' top target since he took the Ohio State job. He's the number seven linebacker in the class, a rare Louisiana target for Ohio State. Um, I would be shocked at this point with how much time Jim Knowles has put in if he doesn't end up at Ohio State. Uh, both of his current crystal balls from both Steve Wolfong and Bill Curlick are in favor of the Buckeyes. So if we're looking at linebacker targets here, Tackett Curtis clearly at the top of the board for Ohio State. And then if I had to venture a guess on who the, the second guy would be if they're looking to bring in two, which I'm, I'm sure they are, uh, it'd probably be Arvell Reese, an in-state guy, Cleveland native, plays his high school ball at Glenville. Uh, four-star prospect, number 25 linebacker, number seven in Ohio in 2023. Um, both of his crystal balls, also from Steve Wolfong and Bill Curlick, are in favor of the Buckeyes. So if Ohio State's going to bring in a pair of linebackers in this class, I would I would keep a heavy eye on Tackett Curtis. And then if you're looking for another guy to join him, I think Arvell Reese is probably the next likely guy in that room yeah we've talked about Curtis a lot quarterback on your defense more or less Jim Knowles has been borderline obsessed with him going back to his Oklahoma State days and I I think that would be a big get but you mentioned Arvell Reese and you and I were talking earlier today so I I was watching some of his film today now when I say that Sometimes I really just watch about 30 seconds but I, I really watched Arvell Reese for a couple of minutes today and He's really impressive off the edge. They used him as sort of an edge rusher, a blitzer, and I think he could be one of those slept-on, underrated guys. Um, He would not be a consolation prize, in in my opinion, especially with what they added last year. I think he's really athletic, and he's from Glenville. It's been a while since Ohio State has really hit on that Cleveland-Glenville pipeline, and he's teammates with a guy, Bryce West, who's one of the top corners in the 2024 class, They're super close. They've talked about potentially playing at the same school. So, you know, if you're looking at a combo deal, Arvell Reese, like I said, like he's not the appetizer necessarily, in my opinion. I think he's a really good player, but you could be looking at a combo there where they maybe get in on Bryce West pretty early. So could become very interesting. But I do think that Ohio State needs to continue to add at that position because – you know, you might only see two of those guys out there at any given time in the Jim Knowles defense, but it has been an area of weakness or a position of weakness for the last couple of years. You've got some guys coming back this year who played last year, maybe not at the highest level, but I think you and I have reasonably high expectations for like Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers, maybe even Cody Simon, but I don't see any silver bullets, if you know what I mean. So, 
they need to continue to take swings at linebacker. And another guy, Troy Bowles, now he just got another crystal ball for Georgia on Monday, actually, and that's his third crystal ball. But two of those are from the beginning of the year. He might be a, a pipe dream or a long shot at this point, but that's another guy that I've been keeping an eye on. Super athletic linebacker, the second-ranked linebacker in the country. So just another name to throw out there. But I think that Curtis and Arbel Reese would be a nice little package to start building that linebacker room moving forward. Yeah, Bowles is definitely another guy to keep an eye on. Maybe Ohio State could, could pull a, a late move there, but it does seem like he's you know favorite to go to Georgia at this point based on those crystal balls and based on what we've heard. You know, that was a name that we heard earlier on in this cycle, and it seemed like you know the two sides right. kind of strayed apart as things gone on, as you know Jim Knowles focused in on Tackus Curtis and some other guys. But you know, who knows? Maybe things change at the end there. Things happen in recruiting all the time like that. So it remains to be seen if they could bring in that guy. But like you said, you know, Arvell Reese and his play style I think fits Jim Knowles' defense pretty well because we know that Knowles likes to be very aggressive on the defense like you said Reese has been very good off the edge for his high school team so would be interesting to see him in that Ohio State defense and certainly not a consolation prize even though he is you know a bit lo- a lower ranked than some of the other guys on the board but Nonetheless, having talked about the secondary and the linebackers, brings us to the defensive line, which definitely needs a lot of work in this class, having only Will Smith in this class currently. Um, but OSU is definitely involved in some really big names here as well, the biggest of which is Mateo Uyunglele. He is the younger brother of Clemson quarterback DJ Uyunglele. Uh, he and his father, Big Dave, are coming off a, a visit to Ohio State that they reportedly— Big Dave. Big Dave, big man, uh, reportedly loved that visit. Everything seemed to go well. They seem to love everything Ohio State has to offer. Uh, Mateo is a five-star prospect, the number two edge rusher, number 21 player overall so would be a huge get for Larry Johnson in his room. I still think there are probably a ways there's a ways to go here in this recruitment, but I do think Ohio State is in a really good spot as things stand. Um, a couple other names to look out for as well. Darren Reed, a name we've heard a lot. Um, he's from Columbus, but not the one you're thinking of. He's from Columbus, Georgia, not Columbus, Ohio. Um, number 34 defensive lineman, number 21 player in Georgia. So another guy from the Peach State that Ohio State is looking at. He has crystal balls to LSU and Florida State, but his most recent three are all in favor of Ohio State, so it seems like they're in a favorable spot there as well. And then the third name on this board, uh, John Walker, a top 100 player, the number 11 defensive lineman out of Florida. He also has two crystal balls, both in favor of Ohio State. So three big names there as Ohio State looks to fill out their defensive line room. I know they brought in a big class in 2022, but much like you talked about in the secondary, you can never have too many of these guys on the defensive line, especially if a guy like Mateo Uyangalele is one of them because he is one of the, the top players, not only on the defensive line, but in this class overall. I have some concerns here, to be completely honest. I think that Ohio State did really well in, 20, in the 2022 class with um, Abor, Jackson, Curry, Canoe. But this 2023 class, you know, I, I think Will Smith Jr. could be slept on, but maybe I'm a homer because he's a legacy pick. They really don't have any edge rushers right now outside of Mateo that are really identified or that they seem to be hot on. I think that Reed is more of a tweener. He's like listed at 6'4", 270. And John Walker is... Uh, a mountain of a man, 6'3", 310, kind of in that hero canoe mold. I, I think it would be a great ad. You want, want to have those big, beefy, kind of enormous interior linemen, which Ohio State has also struck out on in recent years. So <clears throat> I like all of those guys, and I would be happy to land all three. But uh, outside of Mateo, I don't think that they have an edge rusher identified and it's like I said, I don't think you can ever have enough of those. You can't have too many of those guys getting after the quarterback. So I don't know if there are any kind of late risers that they're in on. I don't know if there are some kind of off the radar 
players that you and I haven't brought up yet, but I would like them to see. I would like to see them go more um, after the edge rushers and maybe get a, a guy or two who can get after the quarterback. But again, they did really well in the 2022 class, and they've got the the fabulous freshmen, the stupendous sophomores this year in Sawyer and JTT. So I'm not hitting the panic button by any means, but there is some work to be done, which we've seen. We've seen Larry Johnson do it late. We've seen him come on late and land some guys that maybe weren't talked about um, the year before or even the months prior. So again, not hitting the panic button, but I will be keeping my eye on that, and it's at least piqued my interest. Yeah, it's definitely something to look at. You know, we've we've seen a lot of hype of this Ohio State class with all the wide receivers coming in, with some of the big names we've mentioned on defense. But like you said, it seems like it's bit you know a bit of a slower class here for defensive line, and it does seem like sometimes for whatever reason, this position and offensive line specifically, a lot of these big name guys do wait towards the end of their recruitment. We saw how long it took for JT to win a low out to make his commitment last year, so maybe they they are on some bigger names that we don't quite know about. Yet. Yet that are just taking it slow, maybe not as public as some of these other guys. You know, I, obviously, you know, Big Dave and Uy- the Oyunglelees are very public about all of their recruiting stuff, so we hear about them a lot. But there are some guys, you know, JT Tuimaloa, we really didn't know was going to be at Ohio State until he officially made his commitment. We we had some good inklings, but it wasn't until late in that that cycle that we found out. So. Maybe they are on some bigger name guys, but it is definitely something to look out for. But I do think overall, you know, not all of these guys are locks by any means to Ohio State, but even if they land, you know, uh, even a, a majority of these guys and not all of them, it looks like they're going to put together a pretty strong defensive class. And I think that's super important for this new staff because not only do they have to fix, you know, the schemes and the stuff on the field, but they have to bring in talent that fits their schemes. You know, they're coming into a situation where they didn't recruit any of these guys to Ohio State, they're kind of just working with what they've been given. And, you know, while I, I you know, I'm not t- saying that the guys on the team currently are bad, but, you know, some of them might not fit perfectly into the molds that they want to see on their defense. Some of them might not be up to to par with what they'd like to see at their respective positions. So, you know, I, I think looking at a lot of these class, obviously the Downs and Uyunglele are two of the biggest fish, but I think if Ohio State lands, you know, a, a good chunk of these guys, maybe a couple others that we didn't talk about, I think they're in good shape moving forward. We can't expect three top 100 guys at every position, right? That's just being selfish, uh, like we saw with the wide receivers. So, you know, the defense is, I guess, lagging a little bit behind the offensive recruiting. But I keep going back to the Larry Johnson thing that you and I have both talked about. He has a tendency to build momentum late. He is, you know, above reproach when it comes to his kind of his accomplishments and his success. So, I, I think they'll figure something out, and at the very least, I've got confidence that they're going to bring in the right players that they think can be successful. It's just there's a long time between now and then, right, before some of these guys commit. So there's time, and I, I think that the Buckeyes will figure it out. But you and I have both acknowledged that it's it's kind of time to start doing that, right? Like, let's start building some momentum and putting one foot in front of the other, maybe play a little bit of catch-up to what we've seen on the offense. Yeah, for sure. And we've also talked about how, you know, this season – you know, we're not expecting Jim Knowles to come in here and, and make what Ohio State's defense was last year into a, a top 10 unit right away. You know, we said, you know, probably, you know, top 50, top 40 would be more than good enough with how good Ohio State's offense is for this team to at least compete for a national title. Um, but I, I think that, you know, between, before we get out of here, just looking at, you know, some of the stuff that Ohio State has now in, in their young guys and some of the guys they brought in in 2022 and now that they're looking to bring in in 2023, I think that there's, very, there's a lot of reason for optimism along this Ohio State defense at at all three levels so you know you look at uh you know defensive line 
You've got Sawyer and Tumaloa at the ends for the next two years. You've got guys like Tyreek Williams, Mike Hall up the middle. You know They just brought in, like we said, a strong 2022 defensive line class with Caden Curry, Kenyatta Jackson, Amari Abor, and Hero Canoe. So you've got a lot of talent along that defensive line. Um, at linebackers, you know, looking at the 2023... You know, you'll have CJ CJ Hicks and Gabe Powers going into year two. Um, potentially, you know, Eichenberg, Cody Simon as seniors, maybe Reed Carrico emerges. So you've got a lot of guys in there for only, you know, the two spots that we expect to see in the Knowles defense. Um, at corner, you'll have, uh, you know, Denzel Burke, J.K. Johnson, Jordan Hancock all going into year three. You'll have guys like Jair Brown, Ryan Turner in year two, you know, plus a potential four-man freshman group coming in in this 2023 class. And then at safety, you know, maybe Lathan Ransom and Ronnie Hickman are still here as seniors. Uh, you'll have Court Williams and Cam Martinez in year three. And then you'll have another, you know, good crop of young guys in that room. You'll have Sonny Styles and Kai Stokes likely featured prominently in that room as second-year players. Maybe guys like Jansen Dunn and Jalen Johnson emerge. But I think it's a pretty deep defensive depth chart across the board filled with talent at every position. And I think that you can't really go wrong there in many of those positions. And I think that Ohio State, both with a with a better defensive coaching staff and with, I think, better talent in that room, or at least a higher ceiling in that room than they have currently, you know, maybe with some of the guys on the roster, I think Ohio State's defense is heading in the right spot, even if it's not going to be, you know, turned around in a day this season. I agree. And you talk about upside. I do think there's a lot of upside, a high ceiling with this group. If you look at like the projected depth chart right now, you might not see many upperclassmen in the projected starting lineup right now. And that's all projection. That doesn't mean anything. But you look at the two deep and the three deep, it is littered with redshirt freshmen, sophomores, redshirt sophomores, things like that going into the 2022 season. So I think they have a ton of building blocks. Uh, I hope that those blocks are sturdy and and useful. And, And I think that they will be because, look, at the end of the day, we're not here to trash the previous staff they recruited at a high level but the development may not have been there i've got high hopes for the developmental abilities of a jim Knowles, a tim walton a perry eliano guys like that so i i think that the progression may happen uh, more quickly or quicker than anticipated with some of these guys and so i think they're in a good position and i'm actually higher on this defense going into next season. You've mentioned top 40, top 50 as being like sufficient. And and I completely agree with you. It would be in my opinion, but I don't see why they can't be a top 25 defense because of the guys who maybe they didn't get the reps last year, but they flashed. You know, I think the defensive line is going to be stout. I think that getting a guy like Josh Proctor back, getting a guy like Tanner McAllister in the fold, like, I could see them being a top 20, top 25 defense if everything shakes out. And then you start to sort of rotate in those younger guys who we both agree with are supremely talented. So all in all, I think they're in a really good spot on that side of the ball. Now it's just putting proof of concept onto the field and kind of, you know, making sense of it all and putting your guys in the right positions to become successful. 
Yeah, and I, and I think just kind of looking through here, my, my little bit of a mock depth chart here on that 2023 defense, I am hoping that by bringing in a new coaching staff, it kind of creates a clean slate here where some of these guys maybe do get to make an impact in, in year one. You know, you look at a guy like C.J. Hicks, maybe he gets some reps at, you know, maybe he gets a, a decent amount of reps at linebacker this year if he's what, truly one of the best players in that room because it's, you know, Jim Knowles is coming in here looking at the room and saying, all right, I'm going to play the two best guys regardless of class, regardless of what you've done in the past. I, you know, he hasn't, he wasn't here last year he didn't watch I mean I'm sure he's watched on film now but he wasn't watching these guys play every day so you're coming in now with a with a clean slate so and the opportunity for him to put the best players on the field at each position so maybe a guy like CJ Hicks gets a significant amount of playing time maybe a guy like Sonny Styles or Kai Stokes gets some reps at one of the three safety spots in this defense it would be nice to see a lot of these maybe first and second year guys get some reps that they wouldn't otherwise get if you were bringing back you know the same coaching staff and guys that you know had seen these guys play before. Maybe they get the benefit of the doubt being the older players, but I am hoping that the the new staff will allow some of this youth movement to really take shape even before 2023 and like you said into this season. Yeah, let me throw something at you to put you on the spot a little bit. You brought up like a kind of a mock hypothetical 2023 depth chart. How excited would you be about uh, let's see JCT? Jack Sawyer on the edges. You've got Tyleek Williams and potentially Caden Curry in the interior. Maybe you mix in a hero canoe who's just a monster. And then linebackers, C.J. Hicks, Gabe Powers, Reed Carrico. Could I interest you in that? Yeah, I, I could certainly be swayed in that. You know, I'm I'm high on Mike Hall up the middle, so I wouldn't. You know, I'd see him probably rotate, and he's a year older than those other guys, so maybe he has a bit of a leg up there. But I, you know, I think that anywhere you go there, I think Canoe is going to be very, very good. I do think Caden Curry is going to be good as kind of a, a swing man on that line, maybe a very valuable member of a a certain Rushman package, maybe. But any three of those guys, I think, beside Tyreek Williams, would be good up the middle. And then yeah, I mean, C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers seem like you know the two there. They are the two highest rated you know recruits coming in at their respective position. Um, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, Eichenberg and Simon will be seniors if they're still here. Um, I, I'd be interested to see if a guy like Reed Carrico emerges, but it does seem like, you know, the Hicks and Powers duo up the middle would not be out of the question for next season. So I would personally love to see it. We've talked about how much Ohio State's linebackers have struggled, maybe getting some of that new blood in with starting fresh with some actual good coaching rather than, you know, what some of the linebacker position has been recently. I, I think that it wouldn't certainly wouldn't hurt to have those guys out there more often than not. I look at the defensive side of the ball it's it's completely in transition coaching staff and players and i think we're going to see that unfold like you said I, these new coaches they're not tied to anybody they are tied to their recruits none of which they've really brought in as of right now um and, and look some of these guys you're probably not kicking jtt or jack sawyer out of the lineup but new coaches are going to identify new talents and their new starter so yeah, if all these guys stick around, I see a guy like Tommy Eichenberg sticking in the lineup, same with Steel Chambers. But if they don't and they're coached up and they you know, find some success in 2022 and move on to the draft, I think that these new coaches are going to have new relationships to new players. And it's just going to be a kind of a large scale transition that could really benefit them. Yeah, I think it's certainly an exciting transitional phase for Ohio State's defense. We've been waiting for a couple of years now for them to kind of take the next step on that side of the ball. Hopefully they're able to do it this season, both with the combination of talent they have on the roster, talent they have coming in, and as well as the new coaching staff and scheme. Hopefully that all comes together to form a, a much more cohesive unit, a much more you know suitable unit for what Ohio State wants to do out there. Um, they, they can't afford to be pushed around like they were <clears throat> in games like Oregon and Michigan 
two games that they lost. Um, and, and hopefully it all just, you know, it comes together. And we, we think that Ohio State's offense is going to be pretty darn good with C.J. Stroud and the receivers he's got, as well as, you know, Travion Henderson in that offensive line. I don't think there's much worry there, but I, I think there's much more questions on the defensive end. There's a lot of things to be corrected, a lot of things that we have yet to see in, in practice. But, you know, I, I think it's I think it's all exciting. I think it's, you know, good to see that they do have, it's not like they're, they're lacking talent. The talent is certainly there. They just have to be able to find the best 11 guys to put on the field and put it all together and make it make it work. So I, I think if all goes well, this will be a very good Ohio State defense, a very good Ohio State team overall. And I think there's a lot of reason for fans to be optimistic, both with the way that the team is recruiting and the way that, you know, the coaching staff has been put together. Yeah, I don't want to go uh, too far down another road, but you brought up offense. If And I don't know if you saw this today. If only we had an All-American quarterback yeah what what's up with that what happened what did i miss the lincoln riley love and infatuation is just um at an unacceptable level if you don't know what what i brought up and what we're talking about um one of the all-american teams was released today gene maybe you know the uh the kind of service that put it out but uh four ohio state buckeyes were named First team preseason All-Americans by this service, but C.J. Stroud was not one of them. They identified Caleb Williams at USC as their first team All-American quarterback preseason. So, look, Gene and I vehemently disagree, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. This is all they're just silly lists, but they're silly for a reason, because oftentimes they're wrong. And look, Caleb Williams could be awesome. C.J. Stroud could struggle. But give me number seven in Scarlet Gray all day. Yes, Caleb Williams, who famously nearly lost to Kansas. Very good. Um, anyway, yeah, that's that's fun. I'm reading it now. That's uh, I, you know Bryce Young as the first team quarterback. Fine, Heisman winner. I'll allow it. But C.J. Stroud not being the second team guy is just is is kind of crazy. But you know that's it, just more fuel for the fire, I guess, for C.J. I'm sure he sees that. I'm sure that Ryan Day has made him well aware of that, and he will be looking to earn that All American spot as as the season goes on. As he's you know he's already gotten some first round over first overall pick projection so i'm sure he's doing just fine for himself and i'm sure he'll he'll he will live without his uh preseason all-american honors but nonetheless um i i think we're good for this week i, I think we got a lot of good discussion on both the the nba draft gene and the i gotta redeem myself though real quickly because i know i picked up on it earlier i think i was alluding to troy Bowles as a georgia guy and that's just because of his ties to georgia before anybody comes screaming at me i know he's a florida kid He's out of Tampa. His dad coaches the Buccaneers. I get it. All right. I, I misspoke, but I had to throw that in there and redeem myself a little bit. Yes. Josh has been fired from the podcast for his incorrect thoughts, um, so he won't be with us next week, but I will. Um, and maybe Josh will be around if, if I decide to, to let him stay around after his egregious mistake of, <laughs> of the Troy Bulls incorrect state list. But nonetheless, we're going to get out of here. Um be sure to check out all of our content here at uh, at LangerandHoldOn.com. We'll obviously have you updated on all the latest on Ohio State recruiting. You know whether there's a, another commitment this week or not. We will have the all that latest for you. All the you know basketball stuff with our with our Bucketheads guys kind of leading the charge on that, as well as all the other stuff we have going on this off season to keep you uh, well prepared on Ohio State's upcoming football season and all their other sports that we have. Uh, pretty solid coverage of going on so nonetheless we will get out of here um be sure to like rate review subscribe all that good stuff that all your podcasts ask you to do and for josh julie i am gene ross and as always go bucks